Good evening, brothers and sisters. I was reflecting with someone yesterday that anything that happened before lockdown feels like last year. Um, And there were some really good things that we were able to do earlier in the year. Um, So for my family, we were able to go away to Broken Hill for my dad's 70th birthday. And I don't think any of us could go to Broken Hill um, at this time. Um, And I was thinking for our church family as well, what a highlight it was to go away on escape together. What a blessing it was to share that time of fellowship, to sing together, to share meals and walks and games with each other. And if I had to pick a highlight from the highlight that was escape, it would be a conversation that Izzy and I had over lunch with one of the girls from youth group. Of course, on our church weekend away, we were pouring over the train wreck that is the book of Judges, and it was a nice break from pouring over the train wreck that is the book of Two Kings. And our young sister had picked up a tension there. See, in the book of Judges, the problem was that there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In Two Kings, however, the problem was that there were plenty of kings, but all of them were corrupt. Most of them, at least. See, in one case, the problem was the absence of authority. In the other case, the problem was corrupt authority. And so the question was, the Bible says it's not good to have no authority. But what about all the examples of bad authority? The tyrants and dictators who fill the pages of history. It's a really good question, isn't it? We have a problem with authority On the one hand, we want to throw off the shackles of power to follow our own hearts, to pursue our own desires. On the other hand, we long for clear guidance, for a protective hand, for someone who will stand with us and for us. And yet in both cases, we can find ourselves in trouble. We can end up in a pit because of our own foolish decisions, or we can find ourselves in a pit because someone with power over us has thrown us in there. So what's the answer to our problem with authority? Well, no prizes for guessing that we find our answer as we meet the person of Jesus. Last week, as he forgave and healed the paralyzed man, the crowds were amazed. We read this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 8. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. They weren't marveling at the amount of authority that Jesus had. They were amazed by the kind of authority Jesus had. And as we keep reading, the five verses in front of us today are at one level an explanation of the kind of authority that Jesus possesses. It's an otherworldly authority that at once commands us and cares for us. It's a kind of authority that takes us by the scruff of our necks and sets us on a right path into feasting and fellowship and joy with Jesus. And it's the kind of authority that bears us tenderly in the arms of Jesus as he carries us into healing and health. And it's gloriously good news for people like you and me who live in a world that's marred by our own destructive intuitions and by disappointing and damaging institutions. And so let's read together Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, as we meet Matthew, the tax collector, we come face to face with the problem of personal authority. Matthew, like most of the other people who've come to Jesus since Matthew chapter 8, he's an outsider. Unlike the others, however, Matthew finds himself in a mess largely of his own making. And it's hard for us to grasp, I think, just how despised the tax collectors were to the Jewish people of Jesus' time. They were part traitor, part thief. They lined their own pockets by working for the enemy, the Romans. They secured their own comfort by exploiting their own flesh and blood. They were so bad that they weren't just grouped in the general category of sinners. They had earned a category all of their own. The tax collectors and sinners, the mockers would say. But no one had forced this life on Matthew. He evidently made a series of largely selfish choices to get to this point. He had pursued his own prosperity and he got it at a price. Matthew was loaded, but he was a loner. He was cut off from his people, and as a card-carrying sinner, he was cut off from the presence of God. And there we see the big problem with our own personal authority. It's not that our choices and decisions always fail, it's that they succeed. And only then do we realise that our success is not at all satisfying to us, or is perhaps even downright destructive. How striking that our modern Western societies are the wealthiest in human history and also the most worried. We're constantly accumulating things and yet becoming more and more isolated from other people. We're free, but in our freedom, we've rejected fellowship with the God of the universe. There are plenty of Matthews in our modern world who have pursued their own prosperity at great price. In fact, you can find Matthews in every place and every age. So the 5th century Bishop Augustine, he was a famously ambitious young man. He relentlessly chased after success and status as he worked his way up and up the political ranks in the Roman Empire. And yet for every success, he was unsatisfied. He wrote, I flowed abruptly downward from you and wandered off my God. In my young manhood, I went on an awfully erratic course away from your steadfastness and I turned myself into a famished land that I had to live in. That's some picture, isn't it? That's where our own authority leads us, into a famished land. I read those words and it reminds me of exactly where I found myself in my early 20s. That's where Matthew finds himself here. At one level, he had gained everything that he ever wanted, but he was utterly empty. He had turned himself into a famished land and he had to live there. And what could bring him out? 
Well, again, it's the powerful word of Jesus. Jesus' word is the power by which lepers are cleansed, the sick healed and waves stilled. By his word, Jesus brings freedom to the spiritually enslaved. He offers forgiveness to spiritual failures. And now here, he gives direction to the spiritually lost. Matthew is wandering in a wasteland of his own freedom. And here is the strong voice of Jesus that calls out saying, follow me. As one commentator says, this word is invested with the nuclear power to tear persons away from all that was most precious to them before or from all that most debased them. Here we see the discipling word of Jesus taking Matthew by the scruff of the neck and it sets him off on a new path. It's not his own path anymore. It's the path of following Christ. And where does this path lead? Well, look again from verse 9. Follow me, Jesus said, and Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew's own selfish choices had made him an outcast, socially and spiritually. But once he follows the voice of Jesus, he's led into community with other people and with the Lord himself. See, that's where the command of Jesus leads. Here's Augustine again, who speaks about what it was like for him when he finally found the satisfaction he was looking for, when at last he ran towards and not away from the voice of Jesus. Rest is with you, lavishly, he says, and a life without distress. The one who enters into you enters into the joy of his master and he won't fear and he'll do unsurpassably well in the one who is unsurpassed. Jesus has unsurpassable authority and his word has commanding force like none other. He is, as Augustine recognizes, master with a capital M. But stunningly, when Matthew recognizes Jesus as his master, he finds that Jesus is also master of a banquet. Following our own hearts, chasing our own dreams, listening to our own inner voice will always lead us into a famished land. But this is where the authority of Jesus takes us. It leads us into feasting and fellowship and fullness of life in the presence of God himself. And yet, sadly, that's not what comes to mind for a lot of people when they think of Christianity. Many people are sceptical of Jesus because they're sceptical of people who have claimed the name and authority of Jesus. They've seen churches that are not marked by that sort of welcome and joy and are far more exclusive and excluding And so we find ourselves in a position today where many people will much sooner take the perils of their own personal authority than risk the religious authority of the church. And we meet the problem of religious authority in our passage today as well. We met the problem of personal authority with Matthew, but now we see religious authority in the Pharisees. And as one preacher says, these guys do something pretty strange. They gate crash a party and then they complain about everyone who's been invited jesus you're doing religion all wrong they say you're meant to be keeping people like this out not welcoming them in 
See, these are men of serious religious conviction and they have a serious religious reputation. People looked up to them for guidance and help. But you get the sense from this comment that the Pharisees are less like the shepherds that God had called them to be and far more like the wolves that Jesus warned about in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus welcomes people into a dinner party, but the Pharisees are more likely to eat you up. The commands of Jesus liberate people into freedom, but the demands of the Pharisees bind people. People come to Jesus and he offers them rest. The Pharisees pile up burden upon burden. You can imagine in this scene, Matthew and his mates are laughing and talking with Jesus as they share their meal. But what would a night out with the Pharisees be like? You'd be walking on eggshells, awkwardly sitting around the dinner table in silence, not wanting to offend your hosts. And so how sad is it that so many people have experienced the church to be a place of burdensome weariness, where no one can really be honest about the fact that their lives are really messy. What if someone find out that I'm actually a sinner? It's so easy for the church to become a joyless and lifeless place because lurking in all of our hearts is a little Pharisee. We want to lift ourselves up above others and look down on them so we can feel good about our own place at the table. But that's the irony of all this because life with Jesus just doesn't work like that. Did you notice where the Pharisees are in this story? They're right out on the edges of the party. They can't even speak directly to Jesus. They need to ask his disciples to pass the message on. See, those who wish to exclude sinners find themselves excluded. Those who withhold mercy from other people find themselves without mercy. Those who take a stand on their own religious righteousness will in the end be cast out from the presence of God. And so Jesus says to them, no, you're doing religion wrong. Your authority is about lifting yourselves up to look down on others. My authority is about coming down to others so that I can heal them. And so Jesus is not only the master of the banquet, he reveals himself to be the doctor to the sick. And so he says in verse 12, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here Jesus reveals that the deepest heart of God for sinners and sufferers is not to pile demands on them, but pour out his grace over them. Like a good doctor, Jesus diagnoses the true state of our hearts. You notice here he doesn't defend his guests saying, oh, you're wrong about them, they're not really sinners. Deep down, they're good people if you just gave them a chance. No, they are sinful people. But like a doctor who dedicates her life to healing and helping the sick, Jesus literally gives up his life so that sinners like Matthew, sinners like me can be forgiven. Why is he dining with tax collectors and sinners? Because they need to be forgiven. And that's exactly what he's come to do. Such is the authority of Jesus. He commands us in our lostness and sets us on the path of following him. 
and he heals us in our sickness and he sets our hearts right before God. As we read through Matthew's gospel, we'll see that the marks of Jesus' authority are the scarred hands and wounded side of one who suffered and served in order to save sinful people like you and me. We see Jesus to be the Lord of love. He is the lamb who was slain, now seated on the throne. That's the answer to our problem with authority. We find it in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also find in the person of Jesus, the redemption of our authority. And that's where we'll finish tonight. Because Jesus doesn't simply remove all authority other than his own, but he restores and redirects it. And when individuals and institutions arrange themselves under the authority of Jesus, our authority can go from being something damaging and destructive to something truly good and beautiful. So so think firstly about personal authority, because our passage today is the beginning of a stunning transformation that takes place in Matthew's life. He goes from being a selfish so-and-so to a disciple of Jesus. And the tradition of the church holds that this same Matthew is the source of the gospel, which we are reading together today. He went from using everything he had to pursue his own prosperity to using the rest of his life to proclaim the gospel of his Lord. And it's really beautiful to me that of all of the gospels, Matthew's account, the account of this outsider, most highlights the love that Jesus has for the people on the fringes. And the same is true for someone like Augustine. When he turned his ambitions to the service of the gospel, God used him in powerful ways. And the same is true of everyone who comes to Christ, who follows his voice. Instead of simply serving ourselves, Christ pours out his Holy Spirit on us so that we might genuinely choose to love and serve the people around us as we live to serve Christ as our King. And Jesus offers a different sort of religious authority from the Pharisees as well. He told his disciples that they're never to lord it over other people, but they're meant to lower themselves in service of others. Right at the end of Matthew's gospel, he told them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he commissioned them. He gave them the authority to go and teach and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And ever since that moment, that has been the church's task to help people hear the commanding voice of Jesus in his teaching and to receive the healing forgiveness of Jesus in the washing away of their sin. Of course, Christian history is littered with examples of churches who have fallen short of that commission. Sometimes the church has denied the existence of sin altogether. At other times, the church has piled demands on sinners or used people to further their own power. Like a hospital that denies the reality of sickness or doesn't offer treatment to people because they're too sick, those kinds of churches are no good to anyone. But when the church crowns Jesus as Lord of all and faithfully proclaims his gospel, when we humbly point other people to the healing and help we have found in Christ. 
And when we welcome in the outsider and the outcast with all the joy of an outsider that's been welcomed by the king, then it's a beautiful thing. Now, I think verse 10 is a great description of what the church is. A group of tax collectors and sinners who have come to eat with Jesus and his disciples. I think there's new life and new community and there is feasting and joy and mutual service all in the presence of God. And I thought last week, um, Simon's sermon was a really great example of that. As our pastor, Simon has a position of authority in our church. And last week, he used it to humbly express his own need for forgiveness and pointed us to the place where he has found it. I want to be like that when I grow up. To be a forgiven sinner who leads many to meet the doctor that has made me well. And so can I ask you this today? Have you heard the voice of Jesus and followed him? Have you confessed your sin to Jesus and received his healing and forgiveness? Because he doesn't only want to do that for you, he can. Such is his authority. And he says to all of us today, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners.